The sermon lesson today is taken from Acts chapter 2, and I'll read verses 1 through 13. Now the text is going to be up on the screen, but I'd like you to let me read it this time. Would that be okay? What do you mean, no? You're going to a Baptist church next week, buddy. Yes, if you'll just let me read it, I think you'll understand a little further on. So hear the Word of God from Acts chapter 2, the story of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Now do you know why I wanted to read it? <laughs> Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. Friends, God always blesses the reading and the hearing of the Word. The Los Angeles Kings are up two games to one over the San Jose Sharks. Good news. I'm an old hockey player. I happen to love hockey. And I want you to know this has been a very exciting series. The referees have made some very bad calls, in my humble opinion, which isn't humble. <laughs> but I can tell you this, that the excitement is real. To think that Canada's national game is being played out by two teams in California? This is a little hard to take. But I'll tell you what, it really is exciting. They are playing for the Stanley Cup. Did you know that the Kings won the Stanley Cup last year? Here? Right here. Do you know how many Canadians are in depression over this? It's amazing. The other night at the Staples Center, when they played, and the last two minutes of that game had got very exciting, and the crowd got so loud that somebody said it was the equivalent of a 747 taking off. Fifty days after the Passover celebration, the Jews had another festival called Pentecost. Pentecost was important because it was a harvest festival. It really celebrated the first crop of wheat that came each year. And Pentecost was important to the people because all over the place they gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate God's goodness to them in terms of agriculture. 
Seven weeks after the resurrection of Jesus, the followers of Jesus met in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Now, they were gathered together in one room. 120 of these frightened followers of Jesus were all together in this one room. There was a sudden outburst of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says it was a wild, violent, powerful wind. The equivalent of a 747 taking off. And then you had another factor. Little flames appeared over people's heads. And of course, that's why Pentecost, the color is red, like on the pyramids. And in addition to that, you had people sharing the gospel in other languages than their own. Now, a well-educated Jew in the first century spoke three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. The Passion of the Christ, you remember the Aramaic that was in that movie? A well-educated Jew had three good languages that they could handle very easily. And yet here was this marvelous outpouring of the Spirit, and these people heard the Word of God in their own language and in their own dialects. And that was astounding to them. Some of them just stood around and marveled at it. Some wrote the phenomenon off as these people were simply drunk and disorderly. And you remember what happened in Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up and says, wait a minute, let me tell you something. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. These people are not drunk. Wine was drunk at the main meal of the day, but certainly not at breakfast. And he said, you need to understand that a charge of drunkenness is absurd. It's totally out of line. These people are not alcohol intoxicated. They are God intoxicated. There are three radiant festivals of a vibrant Christian faith. Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. Pentecost is a celebration of the birth of the church, but it's also a celebration of the Holy Spirit. The Trinitarian formula is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. The Holy Spirit is really our sustainer of the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, you have a very graphic description of what the Holy Spirit is all about. It's invisible, it's intangible, and it's uncontrollable. Was the Holy Spirit around in the Old Testament? Absolutely. In Genesis chapter 1, it talks about the breath of God, the Spirit of God creating. And Joshua, Moses, David, Rahab, Esther, all of them claimed the power of the Spirit at work in their lives. And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would energize his followers. They would get over their fright and move on. Oh, well, Dave, was this whole thing a human event? Was it staged via Steven Spielberg? No. The Holy Spirit descended on these people apart from their desiring or their deserving. Now, our media talks a lot about arrogance, power, a can-do attitude. But let me remind you that in God's eyes, self-exaltation is just as wicked as self-obliteration. Self-obliteration can take place by violence, by the abuse of substance, by hedonism, but in God's eyes, self-exaltation is every bit as wicked as self-obliteration. 
And as you follow the movement of the, of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, particularly through the book of Acts, you get a feeling for just how powerful the Spirit really is. And as you move through the early church and come up through history, even to today, you realize that the Holy Spirit's actions are not linear, they're not logical, and they're certainly not rational. What are they? The Holy Spirit affirms, creates, disciplines, and inspires. What was that? The Holy Spirit affirms, creates, disciplines, and aspires. That's part of the sustenance of the body of Christ. I was reading a piece the other day, and they, somebody asked four male athletes, if they could be king for a day, what would they ban? Isn't that an interesting question? It's the kind of thing that gets my imagination going. If you could be king for a day, what would you ban? Well, these four athletes, one said taxes, another one said drugs, another one said parking tickets, and the fourth one said Crocs. Well, they are ugly. I don't care what you say. But let me tell you something. You can wear your Crocs and still be a Christian. Listen, as a Christian, you are not locked in. You are invited by the power of the Holy Spirit to dream holy dreams, personally and corporately, to dream holy dreams for yourself, but also for Bel Air Presbyterian Church. We are invited to dream holy dreams. We are not to put a limit on God's revelation. There are no 10-foot ceilings for God. Somebody was telling me about how they really didn't care to travel in Europe, and I thought, well, you are pathetic. But they didn't want to travel in Europe, but they looked at a lot of maps of Europe. They looked at a map of Europe and they said, well, we see where the Alps go. The Alps, you know, they, they're in France, they're in Germany, they're in Italy, they're in Switzerland, Austria. The Alps are all over the place. So I've seen the Alps. I don't need to go over there. Well, let me tell you something. It's a world apart. If you see the Alps, you see the granite piercing the sky. You see that those snow-capped peaks, you begin to feel the wind and the cold and the power of those mountains. Why do we want to put 10-foot ceilings on God? Ephesians 5.8 says this, be filled with the Spirit. Now that doesn't mean much to us, be filled with the Spirit. Let me tell you what the Greek says. The Greek says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. It is an action that is encouraged. It's a continual action. And the Greek is actually a present passive imperative. You ought to be impressed that I know that. Present passive imperative. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Why did Paul say that to the church in Ephesus? Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Because he knew they would develop spiritual leaks. There are moments when we are very Christ-like. But then there are those other moments. We develop spiritual leaks. And that's what Paul is saying. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time deal. We have to be persistent askers of the Spirit. And we invite the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is self-authenticating. You don't need logical analysis. You don't need the affirmation of the other senses. The Holy Spirit is self-authenticating. You don't believe that? Read the rest of Acts chapter 2. Peter says, 
3,000 came to the church in just that one day. And in the first century, that was an incredible number. 3,000 new converts. Let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit is not just God's comforter. The Holy Spirit is God's disturber. The Holy Spirit is God's comforter, yes. But the Holy Spirit is also God's disturber. And there are times when the Holy Spirit disturbs us and we better respond. We better respond. The Holy Spirit is not ours to command. It is ours to receive. We are not in control. And for us in the 21st century America to put ourselves under the control of the Spirit is a huge leap of faith. Many years ago, you probably saw the movie As Good As It Gets. I just, I, I like that movie. I, you know, Nicholson is just one of my favorite characters. He's not a Presbyterian, I know that. So don't write me notes. But in that movie, you've got Jack Nicholson, you've got Helen Hunt, they're the main characters. And Jack Nicholson at one point turns to Helen Hunt's character and he says, I've got a really great compliment for you. And she said, I'm so afraid that you're going to say something pretty awful. And he goes on, but he says simply this, you make me want to be a better man. There's the compliment. You make me want to be a better man. And she said, well, maybe that's the best compliment of my entire life. And typical Jack, he says, well, maybe I overshot a little (laughs) because I was aiming at just enough to keep you from walking out. Here's the line. You make me want to be a better man. That's what the Holy Spirit does for me. It makes me want to be a better man. It makes me want to be a better father. It makes me want to be a better spouse. It makes me want to be a better grandfather. It makes me want to be a better pastor. And when you invite the Holy Spirit to do remember, you invite the Holy Spirit. You don't control it. In Galatians 5, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Is it plural? Is it plural? No. It is the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, there are nine characteristics of the Holy Spirit at work in your life and in mine. We're not to just pick one. It says the fruit of the Spirit. We are to exhibit all nine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So how are you filled up? How do you get filled up with that kind of need? You do it through worship, through prayer, through Bible study, through the sacraments, through your witness, through mission, and through your stewardship of your resources. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time deal. The need is perpetual. And friends, let me tell you something. My task here at Bel Air is not to call you to happiness. My task is to call you to holiness. That's the primary objective. The Holy Spirit is a change agent. And when the Holy Spirit begins to deal with people like us, change is necessary. Maybe it's restitution. 
Maybe it's reconciliation. Maybe it's repentance. But change is necessary. To be aligned with a Christ-centered life, to be aligned with a Spirit-directed life is going to demand some change, at least in my life, if not in yours. And those changes... For example, if you had just one year left to live, how would you live differently? Or what is it that you want to accomplish? And you see, I really believe if you live a Christ-centered life, a Spirit-directed life, you will eclipse all of your previous accomplishments. The Holy Spirit, when invited, transforms what we ought to do into what we want to do. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. It's guttural, ruach. And the idea is the very energy of God is let loose. The very breath of God is breathed on us. We are invited into the very life of God. You can't put the Holy Spirit in a box. The Holy Spirit is the sustainer of not just religious life, but all of life. Here's what it says in Psalm 89. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them, the north and the south, you created them. The Holy Spirit is the sustainer of all of life, not just religious life. We are body, mind, and spirit. But that's not three entities. We overlap. They're interchangeable, body, mind, and spirit. We are a mix of body, mind, and spirit at all times. And the Holy Spirit is experienced in a whole variety of ways, certainly in terms of the creation itself. Here's what it says in Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all their host, by the breath, ruach, of his mouth. Let me tell you another thing that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is a truth and beauty detector. The Holy Spirit is a baloney detector. Here's what it says in John chapter 14. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is a truth and beauty detector. The Holy Spirit is a baloney detector. And believe me, we need that in the body of Christ today. The Holy Spirit is also proactive. If you are getting ready to share your faith in Christ with somebody else, I dare to believe that the Holy Spirit will prepare your mind and your words so that they will have ultimate impact on the other person. And I believe the Holy Spirit prepares other people to receive your witness. If you're getting ready to go on a mission trip, I believe the Holy Spirit prepares the way for you. And I believe the Holy Spirit sets up some things for you to experience so that your life can be transformed. The Holy Spirit is certainly proactive. And the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about all the different gifts. Healing, administration, leadership, teaching, all these various gifts. Part of the problem with the body of Christ today is we're not willing to step out and try. For example, how will you ever know if you have the gift of teaching if you never offer to teach? 
And the Holy Spirit says you've got to take some risks. That's what it is to be a spirit-directed person in this world. And then there's darkness, there's ego, there's greed, there's lust, there's perversion. But there's also a flip side to that in our culture. There is beauty, there is truth, there's honor. There are people who are sincere in seeking after God. And we need to affirm that, we need to enjoy it. Here's what it says in Philippians. Finally, friends, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The Greek really means fill your head up with these things. The last thing I want to say to you about the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit interprets our prayers. The Holy Spirit knows what it is that we need. The Holy Spirit knows what we have a right to ask for and a right to expect. And when two people are praying, there really is a third person. The third person is the power of the Holy Spirit that intervenes on our behalf. Here's what it says in Romans 8 and 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, But that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Have you ever been in a situation where your grief was so overwhelming you couldn't possibly put a prayer sentence together? Have you ever been in a situation where you were so hurt by something that happened to you that you couldn't possibly do anything more than sob? Have you ever been in a situation where your joy was just such that you couldn't possibly express it. The exuberance was there. And you just can't put it into words. What the Scripture is saying is that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we can't even articulate what our needs are. That's how important prayer really is to us. The Spirit takes care of us when we pray earnestly. Well, Mother Teresa was invited to speak at the National Prayer Breakfast. Mother, this was just before she died. And Mother Teresa, as you know, is a, or was a little lady, tiny little lady, at a sculpture Yugoslavia of all places. And as you know, her ministry was basically in Calcutta. But that little nun was being honored at the National Prayer Breakfast. And um, the person that introduced her was effusive. I mean, it went on and on. It was wonderful. And the last thing the person said that was introducing her was now, help me welcome the greatest woman in the world to the National Prayer Breakfast. And of course, the crowd stood and applauded and hooted and hollered and all that stuff. And so they finally finished and sat down and were in place. And this sweet little nun said, if I am the greatest woman in the world, wouldn't you think God would have made me taller than this podium? (laughs) She said, I'm not close to being the greatest woman in the world. But let me tell you about some great things that have happened in my life. She said, I have been a tiny pencil in the hand of God. Someone through whom God writes love letters to the world. God's got a pencil ready 
for your hand. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we know that we do not control your spirit, but we dare to ask that your spirit's presence might be very real to us, each of us today. May it be very real in the life of Bel Air. May it be real in the decisions that are made. May it be real in terms of the pastor nominating committee and the choices they have to make. Help us, oh God. We do not control your spirit. We simply welcome it and open us up to new possibilities this day. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.